Morning, everybody. We're now going to have the Bible read. Uh, we're reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. Although it's on the screen, I encourage you to grab your own Bible because it won't be on the screen the whole time during the sermon. So it's always great to look at the Bible and make sure what is being preached is from God. But know this, hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godlessness, or godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jans and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Jans and Jambres. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance, among, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know that those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Well, good morning, everyone. And as you heard, my name's John, if you haven't met me before. And uh, would you please just with me ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, please help it make sense to us. And please, Father, speak to us and help us in the area that we need to be helped so that we can be more like Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many of you will remember uh, when we did the Vital Signs uh, sermon series and study series and there were uh, six vital signs. Uh, do you remember what the six um, signs were? That's a big thing, isn't it? That was my next question, actually. The next question was, um, we're going to be actually revisiting the third of those today. And um, to help me, every time I came across a verse that um, said something about the, the vital sign, I'd put a picture of the fruit. 
okay? And I'm just looking at the fruit next to this passage that I've got. And for the life of me, I can't tell if I've actually drawn an apple or an orange. <laughs> so I want you to help me, okay? So if you think it is an apple, put your hands on your heads. If you think it's an orange, put your hands on your shoulders. Go for it. <laughs> oh, come on, commit yourself there, Peter. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, I think you're all right. Yeah, that's right. It's, a, it's an orange. I can see it now. Yeah. And that um, fruit, the orange, stood for a vital sign for a healthy church is that they prayerfully gather around God's word. And um, that's important at this time on the cusp of entering a new year because our church's new foci are one, prayer, and two, Bible reading. And that's how I sort of tied this into um, the series that we're doing over this break called Asking for a Friend. My question that I've uh, put into your mouths now is, couldn't we have found something a little more original? And the answer is no. (laughs) End of sermon. Okay, no. Okay, okay. We probably do need to say a bit more, don't we? And to do that... I'm going to take us back to 1925. Albert Einstein is on a walk with one of his students and he says, quote, actually this is a translation from the German, I don't know if it's absolutely right. (laughs) I want to know how God created this world. I am not interested in this or that phenomenon in the spectrum of this or that element, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest is just details. Well, there you have it. That part of the statement, I want to know God's thoughts, has been actually quoted. So I used to have a poster with that on my wall with a big picture of Albert Einstein. I know, a bit weird. Um, But uh, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. I don't think, it's safe to say he was not meaning, I'm going to sit down and read the Bible to find out how God thinks. I think the, uh, he's thinking more of uh, using the word God to mean the natural order of things and how mathematics and science can answer the big questions of the universe. And he thought that God was the best way at that time to this student to express the awesomeness and beauty of mathematics. Uh, As uh, Di told me, she used to have a mathematics teacher who always harped on about the great God Mathematicus. And that's right, isn't it? Good. Glad I got the quote right. Um, I think that's probably what he was sort of trying to go for and he thought God is the big word that actually encompasses the most important thing, except for one thing, um, Einstein was not an atheist, but he certainly was not a Christian either. And in 1954, when he was 74 years old, Einstein wrote this one-and-a-half-page letter to a German-Jewish philosopher called Erich Gutkin. And Erich Gutkin was a believer in God, a Jewish uh, believer in God, 
And uh, this is how Einstein wrote back to him. I'm not going to attempt a, an accent, okay? The word God for me is nothing more than the expression and product of human weakness. The Bible, a collection of honourable but still purely primitive legends which are nevertheless pretty childish. No interpretation, no matter how subtle, can change this for me. For me, the Jewish religion, like all other religions, is an incarnation of the most childish superstition. Now, that should help us work out what he was meaning when he uh, was talking about the, the goal for me is to understand the mind of God. Uh, that letter has actually become known by historians as the God letter. And in 2008, it was put on auction and it got 2.9 million pounds. And it's interesting that one of the people who bid for it unsuccessfully was Richard Dawkins. Um, this morning, we're going to see how another letter written around 2,000 years ago by an apostle of the Lord Jesus answers the question, how can I know God's thoughts? And it's making the assumption there is a God who has made himself known. And it's summed up in Paul's line from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. By the way, if you're wondering, that's what we're going to be focusing on today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. That's in the, uh, the uh, CSB. And if you've got a CSB, you will probably find at the bottom of your Bible there's a footnote. And in the footnote, it actually says, literally breathed out by God. And my ESV uh, Bible actually has breathed out by God in the, the main text. Now, I'm just going to talk about the Greek language just for a moment and then we're not going to do it again, okay? So if you can sort of tune in for a moment. Um, the original word that translates this expression, all scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God, it's two Greek words that have been joined together and those two Greek words are God and breathed. Uh, so there you got it. Uh, the New International Version, has, I think, nails it by just translating it, God breathed. And also, if you happen to want to use this as a memory verse, it's much more easy to remember as well. It's All scripture is God breathed. The New Testament word for breath is actually the same word that is used for spirit um, and even wind. And when it says spirit, you've got to actually see the context because it might be talking about a human spirit or it might be talking about God's spirit, usually with a capital S. And it just so happens if you go back into the Old Testament, the Hebrew language has got a similar thing where it has similar multiple meanings for this idea of spirit or breath or wind. And it can also have the sense of speaking. This is where it gets important 
when we're reading what Paul is writing here. Because you actually need air to pass out of your mouth and your nose to speak. Actually, try it sometime of saying a couple of sentences without using your breath. It doesn't make, you can't do it. When God spoke way back in Genesis chapter 1, he spoke into nothing. Here's another test for you for a moment. Think of nothing. Some people say, I do that all the time. (laughs) But think of nothing. What is nothing? No thing. God spoke into nothing and then something was created. And none of us can do that. God's speech is on a totally different level than our speech. And then a bit later in Genesis chapter 2, taking on the idea of uh, the breath of God, God breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living being in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. God's breath brought life to where once there had been no life. God's breath is totally different on a totally different level than our breath. And with that in the back of your mind, let's come back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. What does it mean? Paul is reminding Timothy, and because we're just sort of looking over and reading this letter to Timothy and to us, that the Bible is not an invention of man. And because of that, when God speaks, it has the power to not only change lives, but to give life. That's what we're talking about. This is amazing stuff that Paul is, is presenting to Timothy here and as we're listening. That's why the Spirit of God often puts the Word of God into some of the most hard and cynical minds that maybe you have known and people throughout history have thought about, even when people are absolutely convinced it's a hopeless case, God puts his word into a person's life. And the story of the Apostle Paul's conversion is a prime example of that from a Christian hater, a Christ hater, a Christ persecutor, to someone who was a messenger of the Lord Jesus. Why do you think the Apostle Paul needed to tell Timothy this? Because there are four things, four specific things that the Bible can do for Timothy and four things that it can do for you. And they're all in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We will get to verse 17. Number one, the Bible is profitable for teaching. The first thing that we need to know is what is true. Other words for teaching that could be used here is a word that... uh, That's not very common, but it it is used in English and other contexts. Doctrine, a system of beliefs, written beliefs, 
or instruction. It's the content of what you have been taught. It's in the Bible that we learn to have a real view of God and a real view of God's world. We learn about God's character from God himself. We learn about sin and grace. We learn about faith and obedience. Uh, Most churches have some kind of statement of doctrine. Uh, For the Anglican Church, we've got the 39 articles. It's online. You can look them up and see this is what Anglican churches are supposed to uh, hold on to and teach. Uh, You know that um, a statement of doctrine is just, uh, it just means a statement of what the church believes. And if you're uncertain what this church sees as important, what doctrines we hold on to, uh, just check on the QR code in front of you or go online uh, to the Pitt Town Church website and hit About Us, which opens to what we believe and who is Jesus, and it'll give the answer to those questions as well as Bible verses, Bible references, so that you can check to see if it's actually coming from God's Word or not. (coughs) Of course, there are some doctrines that are more important than others. All doctrine from the Bible is important, okay? But some are more important than, than others. For example, knowing about how a person is saved by grace is more important than the mode of baptism, although some people nearly put it up at the same level. (laughs) However, actually, I'd be more interested in knowing how you come about any belief that you have about God and the Christian life, the actual method that you use, and if you don't start with scriptures being God-breathed, then the teaching that we receive here is no better than what you are taught from the last movie that you watched or the last book that you've read. Uh, One uh, dear uh, Bible teacher, gone to be with the Lord, R.C. Sproul, he was so right when he said, the church that doesn't care about doctrine is a dead church. Number one, the Bible is profitable for teaching. Number two, the Bible is profitable for Rebuking. The Bible shows us when we are in error. It convicts us when we are not conforming to biblical patterns of living or thinking. Uh, some of you may have read one, uh, some of uh, John Dixon's books. He's got one called, I think it's Hanging In There. And uh, I think it's in that book that he actually talks about an experience that he had when he was a, a younger Christian. And what he would do is uh, he would have some issue that God's been sort of niggling at him about. And the, the thing that he absolutely was terrified about was, as he was reading the Bible, coming across something that would actually convict him more. So he began to develop the habit of when he went to bed, he'd open up the Bible, read it very quickly, do a quick prayer and try to go to sleep as fast as possible, just in case there was something that was in the Bible reading that hit the mark. 
Um, but God had mercy on him and made him face up to the fact, no, you've got to slow down even when the thing that you're actually reading is uh, unpalatable. Uh, there's a good chance that every time that you open up the Bible, if you're actually spending time looking and trying to hear what is God saying here, that every time it brings comfort to you, there will also probably be something that niggles at you and it, perhaps it's an attitude or a relationship that needs patching up and you get the impression from the Bible, which is a true biblical idea if there's a broken relationship, it could mean that you need to forgive or you may need to go and ask for forgiveness. Neither of those are easy. They're uncomfortable. They'll be hard. And then you come across that verse that reminds you of the mind of God, how God thinks about this. And just because it makes you uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not spiritually profitable for you. That's a good thing to remember, I think. Work through the pain. No pain, no gain. That's what they say, isn't it? Which leads to number three. The Bible is profitable for correcting. It's really important to know that there is, please hear the emphasis. It is always, 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 there is always a way forward for the person who has just been rebuked by God's word. And when that person repents, turns around, there is always a way of setting things right, at least between you and God. There is no situation, there is no sin that God is not eager to forgive and help. That's an encouragement. That's a challenge, but it's an encouragement, isn't it? The Bible is profitable for correcting. Number four, the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness. God's word here is an invitation to be participants with God and not just observers. And that means training. That word training is what is done, uh, the word that Paul uses there, it could be the idea of someone going in training for some sports event. Yeah, there's going to be blood, sweat and tears involved in it. The Bible is designed by God to produce conduct that would actually remind someone else who's looking at you, would remind them of Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, we've actually sung about it just before as well. You see what righteousness looks like. In one sense, you can say that various church groups that meet, including the big church meeting here, is like a training camp. Now, have you ever been to a training camp of some description? Might be uh, a sports or a music or a language training camp, one of those things. And uh, I, I want to say now, if that gives you too many bad associations, just forget about it. Uh, but just remember that the goal is always for the person in the training camp of God to become more like Jesus. And that Jesus is the one that you meet in the scriptures. 
you get the clearest picture of Jesus as you open up the Bible. So <clears throat> let's just review those four things for a moment. Just make sure that we uh, got a grasp of the four things that the Bible is profitable for, showing us what we need to know and, and how to live. One, what is it, the first one? Teaching, thank you. Knowing what is true. The second one is rebuking, knowing what is false. Correcting, challenging wrong behaviour, wrong attitudes, wrong relationships. And then four, training that encourages right behaviour, ingrains right attitudes and relationships. Here's another picture that might help you. Um, for you people on this side, I want you to imagine that this gap here, it's a road. And for you guys over here, just imagine that here you've got another road, so there's two roads. And just imagine that that's a road that you can choose which one you're travelling on, okay? And it's the road to spiritual maturity. You're starting here and you're going forward. And as you're imagining you're walking along, teaching us shows us where the path is. Rebuking shows us when we go off the path, when we deviate from the path. Correcting is actually showing us how to get back onto the path. So teaching, rebuking, correcting and then training in righteousness shows us how to stay on the path. Maybe that is a, an image if you can just uh, picture it. Where are you on the path? Are you on the path? Do you need to be reminded that you're off the path? Do you need to be encouraged to be corrected to get back onto the path? And what do you need to know to grow as a Christian and stay on the path. Why does Paul want Timothy to walk this path? And maybe for us a more important question is, why do you think God wants you and I to walk the path? It's in verse 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking and correcting and training in, in righteousness, verse 16. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the goal. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. In this letter, when Paul talks about the man of God to Timothy, and Timothy knew his Old Testament, you know, from a kid, you know, he was taught by his mum and his grandmother from the scriptures. Um, the first person that probably would spring to Timothy's mind is Moses because Moses is the only person in the first five books of the Bible who was actually called man of God. Later on, after Moses, various prophets were given that title as well, such as uh, Elijah and Elisha. The common thread is that they are these people, these men of God, were all given the task to speak the word of God. And just to nail it for us, back in a previous letter, 1 Timothy, 
chapter 6, verse 11, Paul calls Timothy man of God, just in case we've missed it. The point here is the man of God speaks the word of God. Paul then reminds Timothy, knowing that others probably were reading over his shoulder or this was being read out at the church so everyone knows what Timothy should be doing and everyone's saying, well, how does that apply for me? Paul reminds Timothy that Scripture prepares the man of God to be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work? Now, I've never heard of anyone who's actually went along to a a Bible college or a theological college who only spend their time reading the Bible. There's a lot of other topics and subjects that they have to do. But Paul has said back in verse 15 that uh, the Scriptures give wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that sounds like a good work to be involved in, isn't it? That's a good work for all Christians to be involved with. Knowing the salvation of the the wisdom of salvation for yourself and then with the wisdom of salvation that your friends need to hear, your family needs to hear, the people you work with need to hear. And you know where it's going to come from? It's going to come from God's word. And if I've understood this passage only from there, you might get some really good advice from somewhere else, but if it's advice that actually gives wisdom for salvation, guess what they're quoting? They're quoting the Bible. That sounds like a good work to be involved with for all of us. So I just want us to think for a moment of some of the implications for us here, just uh, looking at these, these four things that uh, God uh, says that uh, the man of God must be. Uh, One is don't rely on secular systems to do what the good news of Jesus can do alone. Don't rely on secular systems to do what only the good news of Jesus can do. There's no business theory and there's no psychological theory that can replace the Bible. Sometimes some of the better psychologies and sometimes some of the better business theories, they stumble on God's truths by accident. Or maybe there's a Christian there who's actually pulled them out of the Bible. Now, am I saying that we should never read any of that stuff outside of the Bible? No, I'm not saying that. Do you know that Paul was quite at home quoting pagan philosophers and pagan poets when it uh, helped him get his point across to certain cultures. But the question is, are we going back to the Bible? Uh, Another thing to consider is, are we going to let the Bible filter what the latest opinion is or are we going to let the latest opinion filter through what we accept from the Bible? Another thing we need to, uh, I I think, grasp from this is we need to be prayerfully vigilant 
in our Bible reading in order to make useful, real differences for the kingdom of God. And that's why we're always encouraging people who call this church their spiritual home to join a growth group and be regular at it. We come under the word of God together. And uh, this is one that, uh, as, as I was thinking through this, it sort of uh, it niggled at me. You read that? It niggled at me. It's something I probably need to change. Um, the longer you hang around churches, the more you'll be exposed to Christian literature. And by literature, I'm using that term very, very loosely because some don't, you know, a little booklet or something like that. And you'll come across a lot of stuff written by a lot of people and some of it is very, very good. The very, very good stuff goes back to the Bible. Some of the very, very bad stuff uh, leaps away from the Bible as quick as possible and never gets back there. The danger for me is to read more about the Bible than to read the Bible. Another point is uh, as we're thinking about uh, this vital sign linking prayerfully Bible reading, reading the Bible is linked to prayer in a lot of ways. And one of them that I think is worthwhile mentioning is to the temptation to talk about Bible reading and talk about prayer and never get around to reading the Bible and praying. Beware that you don't talk about rather than do it. Uh, tomorrow is a new day and a new year. Please let us know, um, uh, anyone who's been here a long time, uh, if you want to have a chat with any of us, let us know if you need help to get to know God's thoughts as shown in the Bible more deeply. Thinking about you're doing it, why? For God's glory, for understanding God better, for serving God more deeply, loving him more deeply and to be thoroughly equipped to be on his mission team. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is enough to bring life. Please give us confidence in your word and please give us a burning desire to know your word more and more. Help us to seek out others to grow together and to grow up in the Lord Jesus. Please, Lord, this coming year, help us to prayerfully read the Bible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.